Meet Dr. Frank King, the founder of King Bio, a local manufacturer of natural products since 1989 here in Asheville. For over 40 years, Dr. King has been helping people and pets overcome chronic, recurring, and so-called incurable ailments by following simple, natural, and safe remedies and principles. Dr. King's full range of natural products can be found online at kingbio.com or find select products in your local health food, Ingalls, CVS, and Walgreens stores. His book, The Healing Revolution, is available at kingbio.com. Kindle or Amazon.com. Welcome to the Healing Revolution on 880 The Revolution. It is once again that time. It's always that time, though. No matter what time it is, it is time to get your Healing Revolution on. And you can do it right here on 880 The Revolution. I'm Jeff Messer with Randy Houston and, of course, the one and only Dr. Frank King for a very special episode of the Healing Revolution. It is. Hey, and we have a most exceptional uh, guest here. Alan Phillips, uh, legal counsel, attorney extraordinaire, uh, the one and only in the country specializing in vaccine rights, uh, wow. a big and intense topic that uh, is is sure to you know bring great entertainment and hot the, button so topic. The, yeah, the yes. leading. What is the word for this man? I mean, it's uh, got to be. Uh, there's the, some the, the grand the, empresario. The uh, yeah, no, the, what did we? The grand poopa. Grand poopa. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, so uh, we have we have really <laughs> are just honored to have and this person. He's right here in the Asheville area in our backyards. The, the uh, foremost authority is right here in Asheville. Yeah, in the world that? today. Uh, Alan Phillips, welcome to the show. Uh, what a buildup that was. <laughs> it certainly was. It's a real pleasure and honor to be here. Let's... It's great to meet you. Welcome. And uh, what, what an honor it is to be able to speak with you. You uh, are an, a practicing attorney dealing with uh, the rights, the people's rights, dealing with vaccines. Uh, of course, the big uh, in the past 10 or so years, it really has become a big topic of conversation. A lot of it brought on for the better and for the worse of it by Hollywood celebrities who have got onto the the anti-vaccination bandwagon, Mm -hmm. um, which may have hurt the cause as much as helped it in some instances, depending on who the celebrities were and, and, you know, had their credibility. Uh, But it really has gotten put into the spotlight more, I think, in the past decade or so than than ever before. Uh, Alan, let me ask you, what, what got you into wanting to follow this particular path? Well, it's an interesting question because uh, I'm a so-called second career attorney. I went back to school and picked law school when I was in my uh, early 40s because of the vaccine issue. Oh, okay. So that inspired you to to pursue, to understand, I guess, and learn more about the legal ramifications. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I was quite surprised getting into it at how much broader and deeper it turned out to be as a legal issue than I was originally anticipating. Hmm. Was this uh, just from some of your own personally held beliefs uh, about vaccinations or from things that you had learned about it? What what sort of was the tipping point that made you decide to, to sort of change gears and shift into a different career mode? Well, I knew nothing about the vaccine issue until shortly after my first son was born uh, 22 years ago now. Okay. And... The uh, doctor, pediatrician at the first uh, well baby visit gave us information that I later learned they're required by federal law to hand out and that Mm. these days doctors rarely do. 
but talking about some of the risks and benefits of vaccines. And I was able to juggle the numbers in my mind and turn the apples and oranges into apples and apples. And I asked the doctor, I said, this information says that my son has a one in 1,750 chance, 1,750, of having a severe reaction to the pertussis vaccine, but only a one in 10 million chance of dying from pertussis. And the doctor got very angry with me, raised his voice. He says, it doesn't say that. He stormed out of the room. And just as he was closing the door, he said, I guess I should read that sometime. Oh, my gosh. And this was a big red flag in my mind. And I mentioned it to a friend of mine. And she said, oh, well, I have another friend who has a child who was permanently disabled by a vaccine. Hmm. And I had never heard of that. That was a shocker to me. It really didn't get a lot of people didn't talk about it. It wasn't brought up. I think that what a great, perfect example you just gave. The doctor really kind of taken aback that anyone would ever even read mm-hmm. the fine print, let alone question it. But and let me see if I heard these numbers right. The one in ten million chance of of getting of dying from of pertussis. Dying from, yeah, from, from pertussis. the disease. What is mm-hmm. now? What is pertussis? Pertussis is uh, what is uh, often commonly called whooping cough. Oh, it's, okay. Right. You know, it's it can be uh, lethal to to sure. you know uh, infants who get right. you know can suffocate. Mm-hmm. So it's and it's it's certainly we've treated a, that because of our Amish patients. Uh, right. We've treated whooping yeah. cough, you know, pertussis on a regular basis because right. the Amish were not getting vaccinated. And it was in homeopathy, it's it's you know a normal day's sure. job, you know, to clear out you know a, you know. A, Pertussis or whooping right. cough uh, with a homeopathic remedy is is not a big issue. It's it's stunning though. Think about that: one in ten million chance, just doing nothing, a one right. in ten million chance of dying from this. But if you get the vaccination, a one in seventeen hundred and fifty, one thousand seven hundred fifty. Was that was that yeah, number? Uh, yes, that of a severe reaction of reacting to the severe the vaccine. A yeah. severe reaction to it. Uh, take those kind of odds to Vegas and play the tables. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, yeah. the, the, it's more likely to damage you by taking it than it is to not take it at all. Mm. That's the old How risks <laughs> way Jeez. outweigh the uh, the benefits. Here. I, I'm not very good at math, but that is astronomically <laughs> widespread. Yeah, and now that yeah. was over 20 years ago. We have a lot sure. more data since then. So, for, right. ex- for example, in uh, 1986, Congress passed the... National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, and that created a couple of different programs, and one of the programs is the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Hmm. So if somebody's injured or a family member killed by a vaccine, you can't sue the manufacturer now. Ah. You have to go to this federal program. And so we have government statistics right on the web that anybody can go look up, but over the 25 years now that that program has been paying out, Mm. On average, the federal government has paid out close to $120 million a year because of the people killed and injured by the vaccines. Wow. Over the last five years, that number has almost doubled. It's over $225 million a year on average mm. that is paid out. And those numbers, as enormous as they are, really are dwarfed by the fact that People from both government and non-governmental agencies, FDA and the CDC on the government side, the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, National Vaccine Information Center on the non-government side, all estimate that only between 1% and 10% of the serious vaccine adverse events ever get reported. Only 1 in 10. So when we're talking $220 million a year, that might represent... 
two billion or twenty-two billion right. of what's really going on. But the most important point here is not the speculation on on what might be out there. Is as it is the fact that the majority of what goes on in terms of serious adverse events never gets reported. Mm. So there is no data out there, for example, for somebody to make a cost-benefit calculation. Right. You know, people, you often hear people say, well, yes, occasionally something goes wrong and that's really tragic, but look right. at the millions of people saved by vaccines. We don't have the data. Right, the numbers are not accurate. The numbers are not represent. there yeah. 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 to even make the calculation. And even to add to that, you know, this is, you know, the one in 10 that gets reported that has just the immediate reaction right. to a vaccination. You're not now, talking about long term, right? Well, the yeah. long term issues and all the arrows are pointing to mm-hmm. this delayed response, the, the effects of the toxins, the, you know, the mercuries, the aluminums, or, you know, even possibly the vaccinations. We're interfering many times with a natural childhood illness that's designed to build our immunity. Right. So you know when we're dealing with it, when we're shortcutting those things, uh, you know we're we're messing with Mother Nature in a way that you know those looking at these long-term effects on those multiple causal issues. You know why the increase in autism is so great today. Right. Why the increase in you know a lot of the uh, neurological damages and and even whatever the different impairments that can manifest in our immune system. It wasn't until we started vaccinating for viruses that all of a sudden the herpes became very popular, which is mm-hmm. an interesting you know interconnection. Just to name one, as, right. as there are so many others. Sure. So. I uh, just wanted to add that here. Oh, to, that's to, uh, that's great. Do, Alan's do you know, we, stats. Do we have any numbers? Do you guys know of any numbers of uh, of people? You know, when I was a kid, I'm sure I had vaccines, and I have yet, other than the the twitching at night. I know I'm kidding. <laughs> I have yet to show any sort of uh, you know how many people go through their whole lives, and this never becomes an issue. Are there any numbers? Have they been able to boil any of those numbers down out there? It's a really interesting question, and I don't think it's one that is realistically uh, countable. Right. And, and there are different opinions. Like some people will say that everybody has reaction to vaccines. There's just a scale of very, very minimal right. to very severe. You can sure. have, you know, you, you may never even notice. <laughs> right. Yeah, For right. example, I was a very sickly child. I was prone to lots of upper respiratory infections, lungs mm-hmm. and ears and throats and so forth. That may be something that was along the lines of what Dr. King was just saying. There's Vaccines um, have a very direct effect on the immune system, among other uh, systems. And once the immune system is impaired in one way or another, there can be all kinds of things that show up a few days, a few weeks, a few years, a few decades. In the extreme example that I'm aware of that there is data on, the original polio vaccines, many of them were contaminated with uh, a virus that is now labeled SV40. That virus has been cultured in human cancers decades later. Mm. And I have read that researchers at the time knew that it caused cancer in laboratory animals. Right. So, uh, but whether intentional or knowingly or unknowingly, the practical reality is that here's a vaccine that caused uh, serious chronic disease problems decades after people received the vaccine. So there's this incredible first of all, broad spectrum of types of adverse events that can show up, but they are typically immunological and or neurological. And then this incredible span in time in which they can show up, which can range from anaphylactic shock immediately to 
in this example I just gave, cancer decades later right. and all kinds of things in between. So it's particularly insidious in the sense that it's really hard to identify, quantify, and measure right. all of this. And then, of course, you, you, decades later, you don't. if you get uh, something, you don't automatically go, it must be because I had a vaccine when I was two. Like, our brains don't let us go back that far. We just assume that's something that has come along since then. So the, the more time and distance, the less likely we, we are to point toward that as a possible culprit. Yeah. You know? And the natural logic for us 21st century thinkers, mm-hmm. which we need to be because the, the, the predators of today are so much different than the predators of past. You right. know, we could... We would hear and see and know how to deal with the saber-toothed tiger, right. but now in the 21st century, you know the you know the toxins and uh, and things like vaccinations is something that has only short-term studies when they bring out a vaccine. Right. They're not actually there's and and not apply implementing the long-term studies right. necessary. You know, to logically look at, okay, we're doing an invasive thing here, right. injecting these viruses or and substances and toxins that are that are in the injections uh, into the body's uh, bloodstream. Right. We're you know we're we're you know these things are not going through the normal barriers barriers that would protect us. You know, through breathing or ingestion, this is an injection into you know the sanctuary of the human being. Right. And, and, you know, it is interesting to think about that, too. Um, as far as we don't see it as much today, like you said, the invisible the invisible killers that are out there mm-hmm. uh, versus like you were using the saber-toothed tiger as an example. We're not even aware of what's being pumped into the water, the food system. And, you know, we're becoming more aware of it. And if the information is out there, if you want it. But the trusting citizen, the trusting mm-hmm. human being out there, it's like, well, surely the FDA or you know, all of these companies must be looking out for our best interest. But they're not. And that's why they well, don't do that's why they don't do the testing. About yeah. that. Well, that's like, why they don't do the testing. You know, you just gave that example. There's no pharmaceutical company that's going to come up with a vaccine and say, all right, let's we've just come up with a vaccine. Let's spend two decades watching the results play out. No, they're like, how fast can we get this to the market? Mm-hmm. Two decades, no way. Not even two years. Yeah. They're going to be. We need to fast track this. We need to get. Yeah. We need to make our money back. We need to make a profit. So the rush to profitability is preventing them from doing the long term testing. Yes, the profitability becomes much bigger than you know the the safety right. of people. And, you know, then, and that's a sad thing, and, but it is a real thing that we must be understanding here in, mm-hmm. in you know, in the 21st century that, you know, we, it, we are being foolish if we think that we are truly being protected by, you know, because the, the dollar right. speaks louder yeah, and in history. And, and that's not a conspiracy theory. Right. And that's, that's a reality the of the yeah. world. Uh, and you know, if we look deep enough, we see you know, quite a bit of corruption in, in all these yeah. uh, places where you know where there, we have trust. You know, yeah. as I shared before, the USDA, for example, is that was designed to promote the farmer, right? And uh, then all of a sudden, the government says, "Well, we want you to also protect the people." Right. Okay. That's like getting the fox and saying, putting them in the hen house. We want to protect the people. Oh, that's going to slow down productivity. (laughs) Oh, we can't do that. Well, and and two, um, 
you know, uh, Alan, you were talking about polio as uh, the vaccine came along. And they knew in advance that it caused cancer in, in laboratory animals. The human nature to survive, you know, we, there's an instinct that we have that even presented with, with facts. You know, people smoke cigarettes full well knowing that they're increasing their risk of all kinds of disease and problems. Same with alcohol. Same with a lot of things. Someone suffering from polio might, you know, even even in that case, would they look at it and go, it's worth the risk of cancer down the road to save the life now. How, how many times have they gotten themselves into that jam where that, that immediate, we've got to fix the immediate problem and then we'll worry about down the road whatever comes along and whatever complications come along. And most patients, I would submit, faced with that immediate problem, would say, do it. Do it, doc. I'll worry about 20 years from now, 20 years from now, I, I want to see tomorrow. You know, that kind of attitude, I think, is just part of human instinct. And maybe some of these companies preyed on that. Well, of course, that starts with the assumption that the product you're working with is one that is demonstrated to otherwise be very effective in mm. dealing with the problem. Right. Polio um, is the polio vaccine is hailed as one of the great successes in modern medicine, and our entire vaccine policy sits on top of this tremendous success. Right. Turns out that this was actually the great deception. Mm. Polio. The vaccine, first vaccine, was actually a disaster. It backfired, and that was deliberately covered up by the health public health wow. department to create the exact opposite impression. And this comes from testimony before Congress from uh, Dr. I'm trying to remember the guy's name here. He was a, a, a statistician here mm-hmm. at the University of North Carolina and uh, later went on to become dean of the School of Public Health. So not a small potato right. here. Yeah. And he testified before Congress in 1962 that not only did polio increase in the two years following the introduction of the vaccine, but that it was de- this fact was deliberately covered up. Wow. They redefined polio. When they introduced the vaccine, there were what we now recognize as at least three different viruses that were all statistically recorded as polio. Mm-hmm. But once they introduced the vaccine, they separated them out. So you look at the official statistics and polio drops after the vaccine was introduced. But Coxsackie virus, aseptic meningitis, skyrocketed Mm. after the introduction of polio, and those were recorded as polio before the vaccine was introduced. So they played a little shell game here to give Mm. the impression on paper that the vaccine was a great success when, in fact, it failed. So people were duped into believing this is going to help them when actually there was nothing to support that. We were deliberately deceived mm. in order to save the reputation of the vaccine and, and the healthcare industry behind it. Wow. Boy, there, there's a thought for people to ponder for just a minute while we take a quick break. But this is a fascinating conversation. Alan Phillips is uh, an internationally published authority on the legal aspects of vaccines. He is our special guest. Uh, Dr. King, we, we've got a much easier show today, you and I. We don't have to do the heavy lifting because we've got Alan here doing it for us. It's fantastic. And when Alan speaks, well, my ears <laughs> listen, let me Absolutely. tell you. Absolutely. Uh, but this is a great first time we've had a guest on the show. Uh, I think it's a wonderful thing, and I hope the listeners out there are enjoying it. We need to take a quick break, but Dr. King and I will be right back with Alan Phillips to continue talking about vaccinations and what are your rights surrounding them. Dr. King's Natural Medicine features over 150 products 
specially formulated for everything that ails you. From allergies, memory loss, and fatigue, to sports performance and sexual health, Dr. King's Natural Medicine has been providing safe, natural medicines for the entire family for more than 25 years. Dr. King's products have no known harmful side effects, no known negative drug interactions, and no known contraindications. Dr. King's Natural Medicine products include oral sprays, topical oils, and topical creams. Visit kingbio.com for Dr. King's full line of healing products. This is The Healing Revolution on 880 The Revolution, Asheville's Progressive Talk. We're back, continuing our conversation this week on The Healing Revolution with Dr. Frank King and special guest Alan Phillips internationally published authority on the legal aspects of vaccines. He's the nation's only, that's right, only attorney whose practice focuses solely on vaccine exemptions, activism, and rights. And he is right here in Asheville. So glad to have you with us today, Alan. Uh, We want to get right into the meat of it here. I know a lot of people listening have questions in their mind. Let's talk about that. Uh, What is it that you do on a day-to-day basis concerning uh, rights, exemptions, for, for those listening who maybe have young children and they want to know what are what are my rights how do i proceed because not unlike your first experience you shared with us dealing with a doctor who was taken aback when you just questioned the fine print most people are afraid to question they don't know what their rights are they're afraid to ask so let's get you to run it down for us what is what is it like for you and your practice on a on a typical day dealing with this Well, first of all, I was quite surprised when I first got into this work to learn how broad and deep both this area of of practice as a legal practice has turned out to be. Vaccines are required in almost every state at birth, the hepatitis Mm -hmm. B vaccine, because let's face it, there are countless newborn children out there who are all sexually promiscuous intravenous drug users, and we got to make sure that (laughs) we, you know, contain (laughs) this this dreaded hepatitis B disease. But, um, of course... Vaccines are required for school and daycare enrollment, but they're increasingly required uh, required in the workplace. Mm-hmm. In very recent years, there's been um, every year a new wave of hospitals around the country goes on board from recommending flu shots for their employees to requiring it as a condition of employment. Wow. I have worked uh, with four or 500 healthcare workers now around the country over the last, say, four years dealing with primarily flu vaccine requirements. Vaccines, of course, are required uh, for members of the military, for military families, if the military is transporting them overseas or if they are living on the base federal property. Um, military schools, of course. Right. Uh, immigrants are required to be vaccinated, the legal ones at least. Mm. And that includes a subcategory of um, foreign adoption, okay. where these children, if they're a foreign adopted child, are going to be required to be vaccinated to come into the country, separate and apart from whatever state they're living in may require for school and daycare re- enrollment. Right. Another area of practice which has really taken off in, in recent months and years for me in terms of being a larger and larger part of my overall practice is what I call vaccine custody disputes, where parents separate or divorce and disagree about vaccinating the kids. It turns out that this specific issue in the child custody context has completely different legal arguments 
and uh, uh, and law in terms of the way the law works from other kinds of custody disputes and what the non-vaccinating parent and their attorney typically want to do to try and deal with this issue is very different or even the opposite of what they need to be doing. It's not that, I'm, as I'm fond of saying lately, I'm not smarter than any other attorneys, but I happen right. to be the only one who's been focused on this issue for a number of years in the way that I have. So like anything else that anybody does, right. Uh, you know, consistently over time, you will have deeper insights over time with it. But uh, I've seen that a lot more. Um, It just comes up, you know, uh, from the pharmaceutical point of view, or my way of summarizing the pharmaceutical agenda with respect to vaccines in particular, there's always another person to give a vaccine, and there's always another vaccine to give a person. There are literally hundreds of new vaccines in development, Several months ago, I read an article saying that there were about 270 vaccines that were already waiting for FDA approval or in uh, the final stages of clinical testing before going to the FDA, because vaccines have to be licensed by the FDA before they can be administered Mm. in the U.S. So there's just this endless supply of vaccines uh, coming on board, and I, I really see no light at the end of the tunnel here. Right. Is it because, uh, you know, devil's advocate for just a second, I mean, the, the intent seems good enough that, you know, the immigrants coming in and so forth, you know, to the idea of protecting ourselves from the unknown, from the diseases, like the, the, the concept of trying to fight off whatever diseases may come in and infect an entire classroom or infect an entire business. So you, you can see that at least on some level it comes from a place of good intention. Like the notion is good, but it, it almost sounds like the industry side of it, the profitability side of it, has has gotten out of control. So it's it's overweighing the intent of we're trying to make sure that people are healthier and happier and more productive and so forth in, in whatever situation that they're in. I think it would be fair to say that the vast majority of us on any side or viewpoint on the issue, at least in terms of what we would be saying openly and publicly – would all agree we're looking for the same end result, that we want to maximize the health and well-being of children and adults and so forth. But you have to look at what all of this sits on top of and closely at what's actually going on and and do the actions, are they consistent with the claimed intent? For example, you look at official government statistics and we see that 90 to 95 percent of the mortality decline, the death from these childhood infectious diseases in the 1900s, 90 to 95% of the decline preceded the introduction of vaccines. In other words, Mm -hmm. the vaccines had little, if anything, to do with the low disease death rates that we have today. Now, this is mortality as opposed to morbidity or the incidence of disease. They may have had an effect on disease incidence, but not on death from the diseases. So then the question might become or could become one facet of it anyway. Well, is there potentially a benefit from getting a disease? If you're going to be sick, you're going to be home, you're going to be out of school or work. And 
you know, that's really annoying. And it's really interesting. The chickenpox vaccine was the first vaccine that initially was marketed only as a convenience for the parents. Right. You don't have to worry about having a kid home sick for, uh, who, you know, yeah, from who, school. Who wants the hassle of that? All the missed homework, all the having to miss your job for a week and all the itchy and all. Right. It's right. easy to sell that to the American public as a convenience. Right. But it turns out and there are peer review published medical studies backing this assertion up. Getting some of these childhood diseases in childhood when in any uh, developed nation, the risk of permanent uh, adverse events or death are remote. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no 100% guarantee anywhere, and that's part of the inherent complexity of this issue. Right. But the risk of any permanent um, adverse event or death is really very, very small from the diseases. But these diseases, if you acquire them in childhood, measles and mumps and chickenpox, for example, create a protective effect. There's a lower risk of certain kinds of cancers and other chronic diseases as an adult if you've had these Mm. childhood infectious diseases in your childhood. So some people want their children to get the measles or the chicken pox. They don't want to run and hide from it out of fear because there's actually a benefit from doing that. Because that short-term inconvenience leads to actual longer-term benefits Mm -hmm. for having gone through it. And I know it's a hygiene that was the real issue that cleared up the major uh, epidemics that were going around, you know, so it was really we oh, sure, were clearing yeah. it up with the hygiene was the main thing. We okay, right. we cleared up the feces and the urine in the yeah. streets. Uh, they, uh, they got rid of the, the the plague came along, and once they realized it was the the rats and the 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 fleas on the rats, it's like, well, we probably should do something to keep the rats away. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there was you know the hygiene was the real factors that right. turned things around, and. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to mention that. That, that is important, Alan, yeah. continue on. I'm, I'm, this is fascinating. Well, and, and let me ask, too, Alan, um, you know, we were talking off mic during the break. The the big thing, I think, when people think about vaccines, the the topic that has gotten the most discussion is autism, dealing with, you know, vaccines lead to autism. And I think that that's where the celebrity side of it kind of comes into it, the, the Hollywood uh, spokespeople against vaccinations. Uh, concerned about autism or people who have uh, autistic kids blaming the the vaccinations to it and pointing to certain statistics and reports. But you were talking to us, and I think this is fascinating, and people need to hear this, about statistics. Let's talk about what what reports are they looking at and using, and what are the reports uh, in opposition to that that people may or may not know about? Well, let me first uh, address a real interesting disparity of position or point of view coming out of the federal government. So the CDC, a federal health agency, uh, strongly promotes immunizations and insists that there's absolutely no relationship to vaccines and autism whatsoever. Um, And I'll come back to that in just a moment, but I wanted to point out, because this is really interesting, there was a U.S. Supreme Court case in 2011 that was dealing with the vaccine injury compensation program. And the U.S. Supreme Court says that vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. Okay. So we have two parts of the federal government that are saying the exact opposite thing from one another. Oh, vaccines are perfectly safe, the CDC, and the Supreme Court says, no, they're unavoidably unsafe. Unavoidably unsafe. uh, Just think about that terminology. That's that's very pinpoint precise. That phrase shows up 27 times in the court's written opinion about that case. Now, I... I want to point out that while on the surface these are 180 degrees apart, at the next layer down, they're really, uh, as I phrase it, uh, serving the same master. 
Mm-hmm. if you will. And, and by master here, what I really mean is that corporations have a tremendous influence on policy and law. Right. So unavoidably unsafe, my first reaction to that phrase is, oh, well, whatever they're talking about, nobody should ever be required to do it. Right. But that's not what the U.S. Supreme Court said. What they said is what little liability the pharmaceutical industry had at the beginning of the case, now that the case is over, they don't have that liability anymore. So the industry has, for all practical purposes, no liability for the death and disability that their products cause. Now, whatever they may feel on an ethical, moral level, the individuals in the industry, there's no financial incentive for them to make safer vaccines because they have no liability. So let's look at the the picture as an overview real quick here. The federal government subsidizes vaccine research and development, spends billions of dollars a year year to help the industry create these products. So they're very pro-vaccine. Uh, clearly. And pro, this, yeah. this would be a result, of course, of intense years-long pharmaceutical lobbying. Right. And because it's not like the industry makes no profits, you know, to be able to afford its own research. But then the state and federal governments mandate vaccines, state and federal governments purchase vaccines, and the federal vaccine injury compensation program is your only recourse if you are injured by a vaccine or you right. have a loved one who, who was killed by a vaccine. You can't sue in state or federal court. You have to go to this vaccine injury compensation right. program. Is, is it because the, I mean, the Supreme Court, the way they, they viewed that, is it because you know, they, they look at it and go, the vaccines are, are well-intentioned. There is no intent to do harm by the va- the vaccines, you know, the companies that make them are trying to do it to make people healthier, oh, to make people happier. And so, therefore, that unavoidable sort of aspect of it, um, you know, the, the, these are not villains per se. They're just trying to do a good thing. And, and some of the unavoidable results are that there will be people who have adverse effects. You can't have 100 percent. Is that part of the way that they're trying to justify this? Well, the whole vaccine policy, the whole vaccine paradigm sits on a false premise. And that premise is that if we don't vaccinate, then we will return to the conditions we had in the late 1800s and early 1900s, where these childhood infectious diseases did run rampant and did kill many children. There's no evidence that that would be the case, though, right? Well, the evidence is just the opposite, because as I mentioned earlier, the disease death rate decline preceded substantially before the vaccines were introduced. So the vaccines are not, you know, the vaccines didn't save us. And in fact, when the measles vaccine was introduced in the early 1960s, for example, in the late 50s, early 60s, if somebody got the measles, that was just a cold with spots. I mean, that's how serious it was. Oh, the child is sick. You put them to bed. They get well in a few days and and everything's fine. We didn't start to regard measles as a horrific disease to be avoided at all costs until there was a vaccine for it. So this was a marketing technique. Uh And the question is, you know, there's a slippery slope that in marketing a product, it's it's a real um, spreadsheet analysis on the side of the pharmaceutical industry. Now, you, you have to understand this is an industry that routinely engages in massive criminal behavior. Right. Criminal fines in the hundreds of millions of dollars are common, mm-hmm. and there have been criminal fines as high as a billion dollars. Right. Now, you do not get a criminal fine unless you engage in criminal violations and right. you know you're doing it. If you accidentally do something, you might be liable civilly or in civil court, okay. but you won't get a criminal fine for it. Right. Yeah. So an industry that routinely engages in massive criminal behavior 
You know, I call that organized crime. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many wonderful people working for the pharmaceutical industry sure. and the healthcare with good industry. Intentions and all well, that, just yeah, sure. you know, upstanding people with integrity who just right. want a good day's pay for a good day's work. But if you control only a small number of key decision makers, you control everything else. Oh, wow, yeah, exactly. And, and I would submit that that's what's going on here. And it's not a conspiracy theory. These are, you can go to the Justice Department website and look this up. There are 37 right. combined criminal civil fines in the pharmaceutical industry between 2001 and 2015 that were greater than $100 million, 37. Mm. And wow. I didn't even bother trying to look up the ones that were only in the tens of millions, millions, or hundreds of thousands, just right. the ones greater than 100 million. And I'm sure there were even more of those underneath that. Uh, we could reasonably speculate reason that there were some additional yeah, ones in, in those lower wow. uh, money categories. So uh, the pharmaceutical industry, I'll uh, take it as a given up front that they provide some valuable products and valuable services and, and uh, have helped uh, the world in different ways, but how would that compare to organized crime? How many? I mean, how much payout has there been against organized crime, as compared to you know the drug companies and vaccines? I don't have you know figures to compare, but it's a really good question, and we'll see if we can can get some figures to compare because I have found myself referring to this as one of the biggest rackets on the planet, probably yeah. not exceeded by anything else except maybe the uh, energy industry. But sure. then I read something very recently saying, no, this one's actually bigger than than that one. Oh, my. That and puts it, it in perspective, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. The World Health Organization estimates that uh, developed nations, each individually, have on average about $23 billion of health care fraud. That's per country. Wow. And... On the World Health Organization website, as far back as 2009, they admitted that there's corruption throughout what they referred to as the medicines chain, mm -hmm. all the way from research and development to dispensing and promotion. So throughout the entire process. And, you know, we can only speculate what the discussion is inside a private boardroom meeting, but... They obviously wouldn't be engaging in criminal behavior in this way, on this level. And by the way, it has increased substantially in, say, the last seven or eight years versus the prior seven or eight years of mm -hmm. that 15-year right. period I just referred to. But obviously, there's a net profit or they wouldn't keep doing it. Right. A and, significant profit at that. Yeah. And nobody goes to jail. Right. Because I think that would have a profound cooling effect. You put one pharmaceutical CEO in jail because they engaged in a hundred million or billion dollar crime. Yeah. And you're going to see the industry be shaken up pretty quickly and pretty severely. And maybe that's what needs to happen, you know, to get at the root of this. Right. But I, I did have the opportunity to speak to someone who was a party to one of these meetings and they were looking at the numbers. Look, if we just do this, we can make this many billions of dollars and nobody mentioned the part about, yes, but some people will die. Right. You know, having to do a, a pharmaceutical drug or product, it wasn't specifically vaccines, but, so uh, we can infer that something along those lines goes on. I've heard about at least anecdotally one instance firsthand, but in any event, they are clearly engaging in criminal behavior, mm. uh, presumably to maximize profits. There's really no other reason I can think of to do that, or nothing that I can point to 
right. objective evidence for anyway. That's pretty scary stuff. We need to step away for just another moment here. Uh, man, I could listen to this conversation all day, though. Uh, it's like it's like an onion. Every layer peels back another layer upon this layer upon a, layer. This could be a series. We could do a lot more of these for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Alan Phillips is here with Dr. King and I, and we're talking about uh, vaccinations and legal rights and some of the frightening realities of what's going on in that industry. Let's take a break and we'll be right back to wrap things up right after this. Dr. King's flagship farm is now open for tours. Located in Leicester, North Carolina, 15 minutes from downtown Asheville, Dr. King's tour promotes soil to sustenance. Visitors enjoy breathtaking views of the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains with a variety of animals, including bison, African Watusi, elk, camels, deer, and yak. Feed milking camels and see rare white bison and marvel at the largest horned cattle in the world, the African Watusi. To make your reservations or for questions, please visit carolinabison.com. This is The Healing Revolution on 880 The Revolution, Asheville's progressive talk. We're back, The Healing Revolution special interview episode with Alan Phillips, the authority on legal aspects of vaccines, what you need to know about your rights concerning vaccines, and we've had a very enlightening conversation so far. Uh, Dr. King, I think we may uh, have to have Alan back at least more, once more, maybe many more times in the future. Uh, This is a real eye-opener for a lot of people out there. Now, and and quickly, uh, I don't think we touched on it before, the uh, the CDC looking what what are the numbers for autism that they're looking at? You said something about the number of reports they're looking at versus the number of reports that are that basically contradict, and it was a staggering uh, difference. Right, I, I took us off in a different direction there, so thanks oh, for reeling me oh, back it's in. Perfectly okay. I, I'm thinking people might be going, wait, wait, I wanted the answer to that. So, yeah, I was at a conference a year year and a half ago, and there was a table of independent researchers there, and they said the CDC bases its, its position on autism that vaccines have no connection whatsoever on 13 studies. Okay. But these independent researchers said there are nearly 170 other peer-reviewed published medical studies that show a vaccine autism connection, or at least you know raise questions about that that we should look further in. You know, the numbers of studies doesn't determine what the ultimate answer is, but when right. you've got a disparity that great, That's 13, huge. 167 or eight, whatever it was, right. Um, there's something there to look at. But more importantly, we have information from other sources. There was a, an article written in a law journal researched by a New York law professor, a New York attorney, and some other activists. And they were looking at a sample of cases from the vaccine injury compensation program, the ones that had already been compensated. Mm-hmm. And they found, just looking at a sample, they didn't look at all of them, they found 86 instances where children had been uh, compensated or their families compensated for children uh, having had vaccine adverse events or vaccine injuries that had autism. Mm -hmm. So the federal government's been paying for autism-created vaccine injuries for over two decades. And this is anecdotal, but I heard somebody say they asked, you know, the CDC, you know, why didn't they, you know, how can they say vaccines don't cause autism? Look at this evidence here from right. from the payouts. And the response is, oh, we don't look at that. We don't count that. 
Oh, wow. You know, to which I say, well, Help clearly, me. if you have a predetermined <laughs> uh, conclusion, you will necessarily exclude yeah. anything that goes against that. How can you not look at something like that if you're right. if you're interested in the truth? Yeah, yeah, there was a former senior pharmaceutical researcher, Dr. Helen Radijak, and she did a review of the autism literature from the 1940s up until somewhere around 2011, I think it was, when she published her study. And her conclusion is that vaccines are a cause of autism. Mm. Not that there might be a relationship, but that they are a cause. She didn't say the cause. But a cause, and there could be any number of factors independently or in in combination, you know, that create the chronic disease problems we see in children today. But uh, there's a profound amount of evidence showing that vaccines are a part of that. And then we have this movie, new movie called Vaxxed, V-A-X-X-E-D, directed by Dr. Andrew Wakefield, circulating the country, and it will become available directly to the public online, I think, in July, where you can rent it or download it or buy it in that sense. But this is documentation that CDC officials got together. They had research that showed a causal relationship between vaccines and autism. And at first, they juggled the numbers to see if they could make it go away by just changing what they looked at and how they counted and so forth. And that didn't happen. And ultimately, they got together and destroyed the papers. Mm. And one of the doctors, Dr. William Thompson, had a conscience and said, this is probably illegal or criminal. And he made copies of the papers. They are now in the hands of a Florida congressional representative, Bill Posey. Okay. He has those the, the proof here. And... Posey has asked on at least two different occasions formally that Congress do an investigation. Nobody's acting. And I would say this is evidence of the profound influence, if not outright control, that the industry has over government, at least on this issue. But we've got not the smoking gun. We've got a conflagration here, you know, thousands of pages uh, of documentation showing that people in the CDC deliberately destroyed data showing a causal relationship between vaccines and autism. So nothing is happening any other way. So Dr. Wakefield and uh, the producer Dell Bigtree put together this movie. It's now circulating right. in theaters around the country. Hopefully this will uh, open enough eyes, wake up enough minds and hearts for people to see that there really is a serious problem here that we need to take more seriously and do something about. Absolutely. Now, uh, real quickly, I wanted to ask, and we'll leave people with this thought, if parents are out there listening and they have children that are approaching school age and they're concerned about the vaccinations, but they feel as though they have to conform and they have to do it, there's a lot of pressure, obviously, to just go right along and, and do all this. Uh, as an expert in this field, what's your advice for, for those parents who may be skeptical and are, are looking for a way to sort of stand their ground against all of that opposition? Everywhere that vaccines are required in the U.S., there are one or more types of exemptions, legal exemptions, that people can exercise to legally avoid them. Uh, Medical, religious, and or philosophical or personal belief exemptions. You have to find out what the law is that applies to your specific situation because the exemptions that are available, the procedure for exercising, it just varies from state to state or situation to situation. Uh, People are welcome to reach out to me if they want help. I work with clients and attorneys all over the country. Uh, 
my website is vaccinerights.com, and there's contact information there. But the most important thing is to find out what, what exemptions are available, what's the exact procedure. And sometimes it is as simple as checking a box or signing a form or writing a sentence, right. but other times it's more complicated. And I'll say with regard to religious exemptions specifically, uh, if you have to state your beliefs, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Right. But the, when you, state, you have to state your beliefs, that's the situation where I recommend that people consider doing a consultation with an attorney knowledgeable in this area because most people's common sense approach just turns out not to be consistent with the way the law works. It doesn't have anything to do with anybody's intelligence. It's just understanding that, that first and foremost, it's a legal question. Right. Um, but just in really brief overview, because I spend three hours literally in consultations explaining the details with people, but you don't have to be a member of an organized religion. And if you are, it doesn't matter which one. So. Yeah. Um, a lot of people say, oh, well, I'm not a Christian scientist. I can't have a religious exemption. Yes, you can. <laughs> sure, absolutely. And they can reach out to you. VaccineRights.com is your website. People from all over the country, feel free to reach out to Alan Phillips, internationally published authority on the legal aspects of vaccines. And he is the nation's only attorney whose practice is focused solely on vaccine exemptions, activism, and rights. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for your time today. And I look forward to having you back in the near future. Now, Dr. King... Uh, tell us about what you have to offer along these lines. Well, I think you know, you know, as being the thinkers in, uh, you know, in the 21st century, we do need to really seriously uh, take a sharp look at this. Right. And you know, for your children, your for your grandchildren, you know, for yourself, uh, for people, you know, at whatever age. We have uh, been working, and homeopaths have been working since vaccines first came out and discovering and seeing the problems with vaccines and actually even created specific remedies to deal with the side effects they were finding in the vaccines. So uh, there's some very documented uh, you know, products that are, are registered, all natural drugs with the FDA for the side effects of vaccines, vaccinations. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with that being said, we would put together a formulation to to create the broadest therapeutic spectrum to deal with uh, as many of these uh, side effects from vaccinations Mm -hmm. that are manifesting today. And so, you know, from that, by the way, I would say all my children from over the past 30, Five years, <laughs> uh, or have, have not been va- were not vaccinated, we're not vaccinated. and are yes. perfectly healthy. We've talked about that. Yes, yeah. healthiest kids in their class, and right. just uh, you know, just fascinating. You know, there's a lot of fear tactics uh, put out there. You know, against for parents and right. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's the I, my feeling and my experience in researching this over all the years as well. I confirm uh, with Alan is. That you know the risks do uh, way outweigh wow. uh, yeah. the benefits, and, and so you know, you know when you have the natural therapies, you know, right. you know, and and it's just too much ignorance. And I want to thank Alan for the work, the great work that he is doing. Uh, you know, he changed careers just to do this work. Right. Uh, you know, and that's you know a real servant here of the people. Mm. And you know, I just I think a lot of Alan. 
uh, Phillips. He's just in, wow, and to know that he's in the beautiful right Blue Ridge Mountains right of Asheville. Us, for sure. Uh, and so with this vaccine, uh, it's called Vaccinoplex okay. is a formula. You'll see it on our website. It is there and it's designed not only, and I recommend if you are still going to do the vaccination, take this take remedy. This. And I recommend okay. it taking it a week before the scheduled vaccination. Okay. And then taking it you know, up to three weeks after okay. the vaccination and, you know, to help negate the side effects. The side effects. You know, That's can right. we say, oh, we're, we'll deal with every side effect, whether it's short term or long term? You know, we don't know any of this, right. but it's the but only it, it helps. Uh, and the most comprehensive product I'm aware of to address this problem out there. So, you know, do take it. Now, right. let's say for people that were vaccinated and have the long-term effects, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's autism or ADD or uh, or just I found people that have had health, long-term health issues, uh, it can many times relates to this product, and I, and I provide the Vaccinoplex, okay. and I find that whether it's neurological or just subtle learning disability or whatever, you know, immune weakness, it is something worth, you know, taking the Vaccinoplex right. It's safe. It's all natural. It has in in has no known negative side effects. Right. No known negative drug interactions. So it's literally safe for everybody to take from newborns all the way to you know us grandparents. Uh, so yeah. we want to uh, know that. And if so, it's great for adults as well as children. Well as There's children, a children's yeah. dose. There's an infant's dose. There's an adult dose mm-hmm. on the bottle. And it is something whether you've been through the military. Whether you're, you know, you're, you're a social worker, a worker in a hospital, that are being said, and and Alan, I just real quick, if they're telling them you have to have this vaccination to keep your job, right. are they are, are they overstepping the boundaries of uh, employment law? Usually, okay, <laughs> uh, something to know. Go yeah. so, we'll see Alan yeah, if you're yeah, in that case. You don't have to give up your great career. We'll keep talking about this. Uh, obviously, we'll touch on this some next week, but that's going to do it for this week. Thank you to Alan Phillips, uh, Dr. King. What a fascinating hour this has been. Amazing stuff. Kingbio.com. You can get the Vaccinoplex there. Also, leave us an email message, thehealingrevolution at kingbio.com. That's going to do it for this week. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of The Healing Revolution right here on 880 The Revolution. As an author, lecturer, and whole health practitioner, Dr. King has a tireless passion for natural health and empowering people to reach optimal health and wellness. Dr. King's 40-year career as a natural healer is all about equipping you and your healing revolution. Go to kingbio.com to take free personalized health appraisals, including his whole person appraisal and candida test. You know your body best. So take back your health and awaken your healing power within. Learn more about the healing revolution by visiting visiting kingbio.com, where you can sign up for Dr. King's free newsletter and join the healing revolution. A revolution never sends you an omen. A revolution just arrived like the morning. Bring the alarm, we come to wake up the snoring.